0: You're listening to an irreverent podcast. Oh. Visit irreverent fm for more content from my friends. Hello, hello, and welcome to Bad Words, an evangelical podcast where we give toxic theology the read that it deserves by taking another look at some of the books that have been given major influence in evangelical Christianity. This season, we are reading Wild at Heart by John Eldridge and Captivating by John and Stacey Eldridge, losing the plot on manhood and womanhood one chapter at a time. I am your host, Janice Legata, and I'll be ripping up this week's chapter with a good member of the Bad Book Club. Co-host, introduce yourself, please.
1: Hello, uh, my name is Blake Chastain. I am the host of a couple of podcasts. The first one I've been doing for, wow, six years is Exvangelical, which just features folks from many walks of life that have left evangelicalism. You probably know the term, maybe even if you didn't know the podcast, which is totally fine. But the show has always just sort of touched on people's individual stories of why they left evangelicalism, what made them change their mind, that sort of thing. And then my second podcast, which I did, it's a season-based show, whereas Evangelical is a, a regular show, and that's an interview show. My season-based show is called Powers and Principalities, and it focuses on more of the systemic and institutional issues of addressing white evangelicalism in primarily the American context. The first season was released in 2020, uh, and was all about white evangelicalism and Christianity. Nationalism, and the second season, which I am going to sort of slowly roll out as I collect the interviews, is on white evangelicalism and media. So that's why I'm super excited to be on this show because a big part of that is the book industry, and uh, and yeah, so I'm excited to be on the show. And one of my favorite. Quotes is actually, I, it's a passage from a book called uh, "Living Buddha, Living Christ," which is a comparative study of Buddhism and Christianity done by Thich Nhat Hanh, who is a, was a prolific author. He was a part of like the nonviolent resistance in Vietnam, and was he he lived an incredible life and he had a lot of books, but. This book really touched on something in that he, he's talking about how he says our faith must be alive. And what he says in that in that context is basically if within 10 years your beliefs don't change, then you'll find out you'll wake up one day and your beliefs no longer serve you. And that is like damn powerful for, for folks who come from a place like white evangelicalism or something similar that like your beliefs are, are so, sort of expected to just always stay the same and for that to not be the case for there to be this expectation that was very liberating and enlightening for me in my own continued evolution of how i relate to things like spirituality religious belief religious community by and large that one has stuck with me because it's a passage that like allows and expects you to grow and change and respond to different things
0: excellent so we'll get started with the reading of the opening paragraph we'll have a discussion and then hear the closing paragraph and send you on your way for additional context and conversation and the option to listen to these episodes with no ads i invite you to join the people of job by becoming a jobly or jod willing patron on patreon but either way i'm happy you're here and i hope you're ready because without further ado let's get into
2: wild at heart chapter one at last i am surrounded by wilderness The wind in the top of the pines behind me sounds like the ocean. Waves are rushing in from the great blue above, cresting upon the ridge of the mountain I have climbed, somewhere in the Sawatch range of central Colorado. Spreading out below me the landscape is a sea of sagebrush for mile after lonesome mile. Zane Gray immortalized it as the purple sage, but most of the year it's more of a silver gray. This is the kind of country you could ride across for days on horseback without seeing another living soul. Today, I am on foot. Though the sun is shining this afternoon, it will not warm above 30 here, near the Continental Divide, and the sweat I worked upscaling this face is now making me shiver. It is late October and winter is coming on. In the distance, nearly 100 miles south by southwest, the San Juan Mountains are already covered in snow.
0: I'm so glad, so honored uh, to have you on this podcast, because you are the godfather of <laughs> ex <ex-fantisticalism>. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> you, you, know, you came in, you saw it, you named it.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> I mean I thank you for that that compliment. I don't even I mean I'm always curious as to whether it's an ism like in the same way. You know, I have very particular ideas about like the value and limit of a term like evangelical. I think it's I think it's really valuable when you're in that sort of tra- those transitional moments and then people like to and are prone to criticizing the fact that it is a negative term. It is defining something by what you used to be and i think that's that's valid but if that is intentional and it's also not intended to be a wholly absorbing type of existence like evangelicalism is mm-hmm. it can speak to at least part of your experience but it doesn't need to dominate your entire life of course if you are extremely online then then like the algorithms are going to see that you engage with this shit and then like you get too much of something and then it's okay <laughs> okay you know i need a break and i i totally get that too you know i think the, the these spaces are always sort of evolving and people are entering and exit exiting this particular niche online mm-hmm. a lot like i'm i'm sort of committed to it because i i under i understand how i relate to it yeah but i totally also understand and respect people that need to be like okay I'm, i've i've done my public facing part of this and now i'm i'm gonna do something else <laughs>
0: No, and and just just like your quote like and this idea of you know if your beliefs haven't changed in 10 years they no longer serve you. I think everything everything is evolving including like evangelicalism. Um I've mm-hmm. even found a new space kind of with it just in the last few months and I personally oh, yeah. have stopped when I'm talking about evangelicalism I'm talking about evangelicalism and I've stopped referring to it as Christianity and kind of separating those two things in my mind. And so evangelical for me right now is particularly special because I'm like, oh, this is, this is, yes, it is a negative kind of thing. But to me, evangelicalism, is this negative thing. And so it's almost like a double negative at this point where it's like, no, I am identifying myself as an ex-evangelical because this was the brand of Christianity that I knew. But it doesn't yeah. necessarily affect my Christianity
1: yeah, at yeah. all. Yeah, sure. Sure. And I mean like I think that is that's a totally valid path, right? You can explore a different branch of Christianity. That's people have been doing that for decades long before, you know, we were able to meet online or mm-hmm. learn of one another online. I think about the fact that there are books like there's a book from the 80s or 90s called Evangelicals on the Canterbury Trail. And it's all about white evangelicals primarily who left their evangelical non-denominational churches because they felt like it wasn't meeting their spiritual needs and then they explored Episcopalian tradition and that's a tale as old as time like I mean to the point that it's like made fun of like (laughs) that a lot of liberal white ex-evangelicals go into become Anglican or Episcopal like Mm -hmm. like but that is more of a criticism of evangelicalism than it is (laughs) of wanting to become episcopal <laughs> right. no so it's
0: yeah evangelicalism is is its own thing and no it's really good to have to have you here and to be talking to you about this book um yeah and specifically chapter one and kind of the the start of it because I yeah. think this this is one of those books in this programming is just running running in the background of so many people's right evangelicalism't
1: yeah, and this is such a cool idea for a show too, just like uh, deep diving into these books that really influenced a lot of people. Yes, there's always there's definitely been a lot of attention to Ica like, stating goodbye and all of that because of that the role that that book in particular played for so many people. Mm-hmm. But I mean, books like this too like are in the canon as well. And I I worked in a Christian bookstore in high school. So like I remember when this book came out, I remember captivated is it captivated or captivating i can't Bating. Captivating. captivating mm-hmm. okay um because it's all about the male gaze uh, <laughs> yes <laughs> and i mean this was sort of in the continuation of promise keepers was really big mm-hmm. uh, for like my father's generation but this was marketed at people that like that were my age like high school you know youth group kids as well as older kids like and that was very much because even in this first chapter it's all about boyhood and manhood and and all these things but 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 we'll get into that
0: <laughs> so was the Christian bookstore your first first introduction to this
1: I think so yeah like I definitely bought it during my time there I had a sweet sweet 35% <laughs> discount on books and music so a lot of my paycheck went back to that store buying music buying Philip Yancey books, buying John Walvoord's Every Prophecy of the Bible, you know, a whole bunch of great, life-fulfilling things.
0: <laughs> oh, sign number one that you're, you are going to be in therapy someday, because no, no teenager should be buying any of those books. <laughs> so you bought the book, did you read it?
1: I did read it then. I did read it. Like I, I remember a lot of the things that are sort of covered in this book, but then a lot of the details in the 20 years since, because I'm, I'm old now, you know, have definitely fallen by the wayside, but definitely the, the themes of like being macho and like, you know, wanting to be outside and whatever, like all these things that are so just, they beat you over the head with it, even in this first chapter. Um, and even on the the cover, like, you see this guy, like, running away at full speed, <laughs> away from a cliff. I don't... Like, where'd he come from? <laughs> like, did he climb that and then he's, like, just running super fast? Or, like, I don't necessarily under Now that I think about it, I don't understand why that guy's running away from a cliff. But... I don't know. He is
0: he's wild man he's wild
1: he's (laughs) he is sure sure that's that's one definition i guess
0: so how did you feel about the prospect of reading a chapter of this in 2022
1: you know i have been radicalized since then by the woke agenda so so it was definitely very very different i do definitely remember like thinking oh yeah this this makes sense but i don't know whether i think that's a bad sign if it like you know it made sense to a 17 year old how old was john Eldridge when he wrote this
2: mm.
1: like i'm not sure <laughs> but i mean i i do underst- and i do understand the appeal of it like we're living in a post jesus and john Wayne world now okay. so like the the extent of this being like you know exemplified as a as a desirable type of manhood It's very clear or, you know, it's, it's got a history and like promise keepers, which I mentioned, that was a big sort of like mountaintop moment thing for 40 somethings Mm -hmm. in the nineties. Like it was really big, like 30, 40 somethings. They would go to these big things and they'd, they'd have these powerful worship moments. It, It was like, you know, like Jesus camp for, for working professionals. And the other thing like, but, but even books like, like, this, this type of Christianity has been typified since at least, you know, Teddy Roosevelt, like, had muscular Christianity. Like, that was the term back then. And then around a little after this book, I think Tony Dungy had some similar books in that similar vein of, like, stoic masculinity and that sort of thing. <laughs> I'm not sure what else to say. Like, like it, it's definitely within that tradition. But now, all these things that he associates with gender... Mm-hmm. I just don't see as being related to gender really at all. And a lot of times I, I didn't always feel comfortable in like hyper-masculine spaces, even as a kid. So that's probably my own stuff is not fitting the mold that he wants to fit people mm-hmm. in. But at the same time, a lot of his complaints are complaints about capitalism, mm-hmm. <laughs> not, not yeah. gender.
0: That's a... <laughs> at this point, I have I have read the whole book, read both books. Um, mm-hmm. So it's good for me to be looking at this first chapter kind of with the whole book in mind now. Mm-hmm. And like coming into it, I knew, I mean, I did these books because I'm like, no, these are bad books. Um, but I <laughs> I thought it was going to be more, uh, just harder to kind of tease out because I'm like, they were so platformed and they were so passed out and so supported. Surely they must have been tricky. These must have been tricky works. And then reading them, like, oh no, these this is this is bad. Like just on the surface, bad.
1: Mm -hmm. Did you read these back in the day? Did you come across either of these books? I
0: read "Captivating" as as a good woman should. And and back (laughs) in the day, yeah, it it made sense. It was like, yeah, okay, sure. That seems that Mm -hmm. seems right as as we were indoctrinated to believe like it, it just fits so well with yeah. all of the former programming that it
1: right yeah and i and i mean and even to the gr- degree that like our parents generation was was programmed to believe this too yeah. you know and it just wasn't challenged i think it it has been in a lot of ways but it, those generations that were challenging it didn't have the Again, like thinking of technological changes and the things that allow us to talk about it now, you know, um, those things weren't there then. So can I ask you a question? Is that okay? <laughs> so what? when was like the first, like, I, I got to page three before I wrote a note that says, the fuck? <laughs> and that was at the, on page four, uh, it says, my gender seems to need little encouragement.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> like what was... Like how how early were you? Like wait, how is this related to being male or female, <laughs> and like and about being masculine? To me, that that was just like, hmm. I don't. Okay, I'm I'm glad your gender needs a little encouragement. <laughs> but I'm
0: not sure. Well, for me, and like and I read this whole both of these books with like just this expression, just like the whole time where it's just like, ah. Oh. <laughs> and and like it just started early um. so so with Wild at Heart in mm-hmm. particular so the introduction was its own mess so I was already but taking that off the table just in chapter 1 so he starts mm-hmm. out with this story and I can't be mad at his little story fine he's out walking and doing whatever okay great but so mm-hmm. page 2 for me was where I was like oh no this is oh no when he says <laughs> the Wapiti as the Indians called him and I said the Indians oh this is what we're doing because mm-hmm. this book has been updated and there is a point later oh. in the book where he because he gives quotes at the beginning of every chapter and one of the quotes is from the chicks so it's from the Dixie chicks but he has put the chicks so I'm like this has been updated since 2020 and you you changed oh, really? that so you changed the Dixie Chicks to the chicks but we've still got the Indians in here and all throughout this book
1: um, hmm I did not know I didn't even know it had been updated because I mean I, my copy is from 2001 it looks like so I guess I don't I don't have that but that is surprising that they would update the name of a band but they would not update mm-hmm. <laughs> that yeah oh, dear. so
0: that was where the kind of the white supremacy of it first jumped out at me i think for for yeah the gender piece is actually right right in that same section as you because one of my questions for you was going to be do you have an innate love of maps blake
1: i mean who doesn't (laughs) and (laughs) women don't
0: apparently because this is (laughs) you know because they said my gender seems to need a little encouragement and comes naturally like our innate love of maps
1: yeah, there's there's a ton of projection happening there, here like like I mean the the masculine the male experience is John's experience like that is that is the extent of it. That to me is shocking. So like a couple of pages later he's talking about wanting to adventure into I mean you do have other things like speaking of like racist assumptions like on the top of page five like like Livingstone plunging into the interior of dark Mm -hmm. africa like that that's that's clear that's
0: still there in the update as well
1: and then he goes into he's called out called up into something much bigger than he ever imagined much more serious than ceo or prince of egypt basically i i put a note that there there was this like have you seen that that it's like a tiktok trend of what is america's national epic have you seen that? I saw one that said it's the Fast and the Furious, one is the Wizard of Oz. Like it's like this is the Wizard of Oz, that has nothing to do with Christianity. <laughs> like you want your heart back. He has got to get his heart back. You're the Ten Man. You're not this has nothing to do with the the Christian walk. You are dissatisfied. Like, how is this any different than that talking head right. song? Like <laughs> you know, as the days go by, you know, who is whose house is this? You know, like yeah, I get it. You're having a midlife <laughs> crisis. But like but why are you making these things? And I mean, this is a very evangelical thing to do is to turn a very specific experience into a universal right. one. And like that's something that because of narratives like this, that becomes a big part of, you know, what Tory Douglas would call white homework, you know, like especially white evangelically conditioned. <laughs> Men like you have to learn that this this is not universal. This is just the story of a guy who lived in Colorado mm-hmm. and liked being a weekend warrior, mm-hmm. like
0: and seemed to want to be able to. I don't know. I guess be a weekend warrior full time for for pay, which we all would like to do. Not necessarily to go out into the wilderness, but to do whatever the thing is that we love to do and be paid for it. Right.
1: Which again, <laughs> it's it's capitalism it's not your problem is capitalism not the fact that that men are effeminate now or whatever as the chapter goes on it just gets you know he he rails against the the nice guy thing and this is like proto mark driscoll i'm a man's man type stuff you'd have to admit a christian man is dot 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 bored it's like okay like then criticize like you're criticizing christianity but then later on he he takes like gender essentialism and you know basically he says like straight out that gender is yeah. built in like at the soul level which is just wild to me i mean you take galatians you, there's the galatians passage from paul but then there's this passage from jesus in the gospels of that in heaven there <laughs> there's no marriage there's not going to be male or female like like it's a genderless existence right. <laughs> in that passage. So why would you say, I mean, if you had any level of gender dysphoria and read that, that would just be like, and the other thing is, is that he talks about the male and female heart. Like literally the female heart is way women outlive men. You don't want to have a male heart people. And even metaphorically, like women, even in his own framing, women have to take on a lot more. And so (laughs) it's just very hard for me to, to relate to this it's yeah. i'm not sure <laughs> and this is one of the reasons i didn't feel like this type of manhood was not an example i ever really related to and even like i like the outdoors but you know this is very stereotypical you know it's just very my kids like cowboys playing playing you know cowboys and and indians or like whatever mm-hmm. and like blowing blowing things up. It's like, is that gendered? Like, is that gendered or is that just environmental? He takes, like,
0: he takes all of these things all throughout the book and says, you know, here are all the movies that we love and here are the typical storylines. And these typical storylines prove that this, the standard storyline proves that this is the standard way that things are. And instead of being like, no, John, these are works of fiction built on how our society has been and these are the stories people are making because mm-hmm. these are the stories they have seen but that's not the only way the stories can go
1: right but right.
0: you're taking all of yeah. these things that it's... fit your narrative to say that no see my narrative is right and this is how it how it mm-hmm. should be
1: yeah yeah I know it's really bad to like sort of be dumbstruck <laughs> on a podcast where you're supposed to be talking but like and I I mean I did I did write a lot of stuff I did not write any anything positive <laughs> like i think that you know usually i try to temper things but this is like it's the nature of some of these things when you when you look back now i guess is like i you know it's hard for me to access the place where where this made sense anymore and the other thing that like i was thinking about that this is a bit of a tangent but uh recently i was listening to this album um from iron and wine which, uh, you know, they're like a, a folk uh, sort of in the two, early early mid-2000s. They had an album that came out in 2005 called Woman King. And there's a song on there that the subtitle is called Lilith's Song. And I actually saw him perform like a solo show. He uh, sometimes performs with a band, sometimes it's just him but he performed a solo show at Wheaton College. And I didn't attend Wheaton. I went to Indiana Wesleyan, but I went to Wheaton for this concert because it's in a similar area to where my family lived. And we saw them and we saw that concert and the administration made him censor Lilith's songs, Lilith's song, which is about the apocryphal first wife of Adam, who, according to, you know, uh, Jewish lore was evicted from Eden for either demanding equality or, like this is the sort of conservative take on it, demanding equality or even superiority with, with Adam. And he's got this very they made him censor the song. The the one line where he says fuck. Like he, as he drops an F-bomb and they made him censor it. And it made it made the song that much more like sort of powerful and subversive um, in the moment. Like in the moment with that crowd, him being forced to <laughs> Like, it's an explicitly sexual song and all of this. And that was the part they made him him edit out. When I thought of it, I was trying to think of other times when that may have happened, like in evangelicalism, where, like, the, the sort of cultural filter fails, you know, and, like, something else mm-hmm. gets in. And, like, there was this one part that got so close, and it's on page 10, where he says... He's talking about this, this photo of when he was a Mm -hmm. boy and he's wearing a cowboy outfit and he's, and he says, I've donned the outfit and won't take it off for weeks because you see, this is not a costume at all. It's an identity. And it's like, you're so close. You're so, you're so close. Like, yes, identity is much of it is in a Mm -hmm. way costuming and like performing for people and sometimes performing for yourself. And it's like, yes. And I did that too. Like when I was a kid and I was dressed up as Batman, I would not answer my parents unless they called me Batman, you know, (laughs) like, but at the same time, like he was so close to understanding that identity link and how it's a little Mm -hmm. performative. And like, there is some, there is a lot of performativity with regard to gender, but like he just saw it as this is the sign of, of all people. Like, all people that are born male like relate just like me to this and like just because i was because i found this valuable and meaningful and it was fun and it was easy like not like take that take yourself out of that equation then what does that have to do with the fact that he gets so close and then it's like <laughs> come on <laughs> Uh, but then, but then he goes and he just veers it's off just in the a, wrong direction. Horribly, says, horribly like,
0: wrong direction.
1: So that that was a long sort of soliloquy about like this. Sorry about that. About you know how sometimes they get close, you know, and then just 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 go a little bit farther. And but <laughs> but then you got to back in back into this type of orthodoxy that evangelicalism requires, and a lot of that's like gender, these so-called traditional. Mm-hmm gender norms.
0: And it's, so he, he refers to it as a costume at first, but then he said, you know, capes and swords, camouflage, bandanas and six shooters, all the superhero outfits. These are the uniforms of boyhood. I'm like, no, these are costumes of boyhood. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I think about, about James Baldwin and him talking about, you know, watching, watching the old movies, the Cowboys and Indians on TV. And then, Mm -hmm hitting that realization one day when you're like james baldwin me oh we're not the cowboys we are the indians and we'll always be seen as such and so you know john eldridge yeah you can dress up like that as a boy and you are still dressing up like that as a man and you're still wanting to do the same things like this book is so much you know a third of what a man wants is a battle to fight and it's like who is this battle against john because all of your heroes (laughs) all of these movies that you're invoking and these things that you're hearkening back to none of that is good for people that look like me not just because i'm a woman this book does not like women but (laughs) as a non-white person the mm-hmm. battles that you're trying to fight, these do not end well for me. Historically, they have not ended well for anyone except men who are wearing the exact costume that you are prescribing here.
1: hmm Yeah. The other thing to me that is just mind-boggling as well is that, like, he is trying to do this sort of—his whole project is, like, this idea of imbuing meaning Into someone's life. I remember in both sort of the evangelical stuff, like I was a huge youth group kid in the late 90s, and I went to, you know, a Christian college and, and in the shadow, like directly in the shadow of 9 11. And there was a lot of stuff around like postmodernism and what it meant and, and like, people not not having meaning if it wasn't directly related or sourced to God and like the presuppositional stuff and all these different things and that's sort of the same sort of hole that he's trying to fill here is this you're unsatisfied with your work, you're unsatisfied with your relationships etc etc but his desire, his way of imbuing meaning is entirely mm-hmm. escapist and to me as now, as As an adult, as a father, as a partner who's been in a long-term marriage, everything in this chapter seemed he valorized the single men, you know, he's like, and, and he valorized these men without Mm -hmm. attachments. Like you wanted to be like Jeremiah Johnson or this wild man in the woods who was a hermit that, you know, maybe did something heroic, but was self-sufficient and whatever else. And like that doesn't lead to stability for anyone else if you have those relationships if you have dependents if you have like children that are financially and many other ways like emotionally and and socially in every single possible way until they come of age and can support themselves where's is, where's is that where's that part of the being a responsible adult of being a man, like that's completely absent. And that's why to me, it's like, okay, you, you want to go hiking during the weekday too, don't you? (laughs) Like, like, okay, you know, get up at five, you do the grind or whatever, or change your life. But don't say it's because like eternally I was born with a boy soul and you were born with a girl soul. Like get out of here.
0: And it perfectly matches The penis or the vagina that you were born with every time. (laughs) Yes. Yes.
1: Yeah. And like, as you said, it is incredibly just dismissive and disrespectful to women. So what are the three things? The the three things are an adventure to something. I can't find it. A battle to fight. An adventure to live. And a beauty to rescue. And then that's followed by The Feminine Heart. Mm -hmm. The world kills a woman's heart when it tells her to be tough, efficient, and independent. Like, (laughs) what?
0: And again, capitalism kills a woman's heart when it tells her to be those things and then blames her for it. You know, we are right now in this... I mean, we are in this... It has to be one of the stupidest moments of history just just all the time. (laughs) Uh, But, you know... Just coming out of these midterms (laughs) and to have the Republican Party, the conservative right wing side of things, looking at the results. And instead of saying, oh, like, okay, maybe people don't want these things that we've put forward. They're saying, no, the problem is single women um, and and the youths. How can we raise the voting age Mm -hmm. and how can we make sure less women are voting? Yeah, that's so the so he's doing there, the right. same thing and saying, here are the things I don't like about women. And instead of looking at what is actually harming women, because he talks about, you know, uh, boys, boys playing war games, blah, 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 whatever, and how important that is, because when boys play at war, they are rehearsing their part in a much bigger drama. One day, you just might need that boy to defend you. Who would I, as a mm, woman... That's right. Re- Ne- who do I need more defense from than men? honestly
1: that is statistically true and it's a condemnation of the very manhood mm-hmm. that he's recommending and the the other things that they he calls out with regards he says every woman yearns to be fought for not not every woman wants a battle to fight but everyone every woman yearns to be fought for I think this book is is rife with casual misogyny, so that being a given, I think that just speaks to people in like appreciating when you are on their side. Mm-hmm. Like, again, how is that gender? Not every every woman also wants an adventure sh- to share.
0: <laughs> we don't get share. our own. Like yeah. you, you men, you want one to live. You'd... I just want to share one. Yeah, with you.
1: And like, he certainly doesn't mention Frodo and Samwise here. He doesn't mention. <laughs> He doesn't mention Tony and Roadie. He doesn't mention, you know, all the different male-male adventures that are shared. It's always a hetero thing. Yeah, the adventure to share. Like, yeah, don't have your own. Women you can't have dry. their own, and, and men can't appreciate things with other men. We just all got to be lone wolves, except when we fall in love in grade school. And then,
0: <laughs> like, and then I'm going to fight. Fight and it's, you know, a beauty to, to to rescue, to fight for, and this idea that women wanna be fought over. I don't wanna be I don't I do not need anybody to fight over me. Do women want to feel valued and respected and wanted? Yes. I don't think that's different from men, but this idea of this battle to fight, like I mean this book so many times and this is just one area, it just puts places women in the object category. Like this is this is a thing that this man has decided that he likes and now he's going to go and get it. And Mm -hmm. even if the battle that he has to fight is the actual woman to get her and make her into whatever it is he thinks she should be. Well, that's just part of his adventure to live.
1: I don't know. When you were taught like to critique something, there's usually only two, two schools of thought. You say the nice thing first, or you say the nice thing last. And I'm struggling, you know, I'm struggling. I'm, I'm trying I'm trying. There's definitely things to talk about. But, I mean, it does sort of come back to, like, his utter certainty that all these things are, like, innate and gendered and universal instead of particular, instead of environmental, you know. And he blames the world. He blames Christianity. I love escapist stuff. I still read – I I love comic books. I love the fantasies of, like – The the cool thing about a lot of superhero stories and even, like, you know, the myths that go back thousands of years is that, like, generally they have, like, transformative singular moments. You know, like, Spider-Man is bit by a spider and then overnight becomes super strong and, like, he becomes, like, the alpha or whatever. (laughs) Or, like, or he can, like, put down the alpha Uh, and he's still smart and pick a story, usually there's like this transformative thing. Most heroes that that have to work for it are sort of, you know, they're not as common. And even like Batman has a superpower of being a billionaire. So like he could go hiking on on the weekdays, you know? (laughs) He could go to his karate class and everything. But like, I would not take those fantasies and then put it in a book that's marketed towards giving people more meaning to me that is like that's just setting people up with false expectations and you have no idea what sort of internalized uh things they're already struggling with like i don't i don't relate to this type of manhood like really at all like i mean my particular branches of evangelicalism and everything like the first pastor i remember was a woman i've i've had strong women in my life and i've had strong men in my life and like for me a lot of times i never associated those things directly with gender and i don't know if that's because of those experiences because of other parts of my life but like i remember reading this i remember reading like the sacred romance which he also wrote before i I think it maybe came a couple of years before this book but, and then he's like the sacred romance was like sort of both of them. And then he, he gendered them. <laughs> like he, I think is what happened. <laughs> right. If I'm remembering it right. And so this, this just misses the mark in my opinion, like of the things to address in like people being dissatisfied with their lives or dissatisfied with the way they're performing or whatever, this isn't it. <laughs> like, and, and that's why it's hard for me to get back there again, I guess. Like, I've only read the first chapter or so of Bell is *The Will to Change*, mm. which is all about masculinity. But, like, I think it'd be way, I think it'd be very interesting to do like a comparative <laughs> between like things that are actually addressing other a- aspects of manhood that's not just dreaming up mythic versions of mm. of being a man. But yeah, I mean, that's that's sort of that was that was sort of part and parcel of a lot of these books is wrap yourself up in some grand story and like you can wrap yourself up in a real grand story like like challenging capitalism in your own life or in you know some other way addressing other systemic issues that's a big story but it's not being you know mel gibson and braveheart (laughs) like okay (laughs) sure
0: but sometimes like i'm i'm struggling right now with this this shooting in Colorado Springs and just being really tired of kind of even going back to the whole idea of critique like I think we have been taught to give people so much benefit of the doubt and to have this idea like if we're going to have a conversation then yes I have to come with uh, you know the (laughs) the compliment sandwich right so I have to give you two nice things to say to say one main thing to you so I have to give credence to other side and we have to you know, in good faith, we have to come and be nice. And I'm like, I'm, I'm tired of it. Like, I want to just be able to say, no, like your theology is bad. And I think, I think you're bad. I don't, I can't, I can't, I don't, I don't want to separate the two anymore and pretend like, you know, you're trying. I can, no, I can see how you're trying to, to do the right thing. It doesn't matter. You're doing the wrong thing and you're hurting people. And we should be able to say that. But we, uh, we, on this side, we won't say that. We're still trying to find a nice thing and be nice and, you know, give benefit of the doubt. But, you know, one of the strengths he comes in with is that they don't do that. He says these, he makes these statements and he makes them definitively. He does not leave room and say... You know, no, there might, I -hmm. could be wrong here. And there might be other men who express their masculinity different. He says, no, there are men who are expressing their masculinity in another way. And they're wrong. They're doing it wrong. Yeah. And it may be because they were wounded by their mother or blah, 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 whatever. But no, I know the way. What I'm saying is right. And there is no, there is no argument here. There is no other side. That's it
1: yeah yeah, yeah, and I, that is very true as, and you know much of of what's part of this you know what we all sort of refer to as deconstruction these days and everything, a lot of it is recognizing that those narratives were way too simple, yeah. and like the, the, it led to really bad theology, it led to really bad teachings, it led to really bad practices, and much of what people struggle with is like the the cognitive dissonance of, of it all. And also discovering, many years later, just how, well, how ahistorical it is. Mm. Like, how this is actually just very, very recent developments. Like, all of American history is pretty recent right. by the scope of history. But nonetheless, even even within American history, like, a lot of these things are just you wanting it to be the 1950s. Yeah. And the 1950s were really good for white men. Right. Ask some other people how the 1950s were.
0: Ask anybody else.
1: (laughs) That is a huge, huge part of, like, why these things fail to convince unless you still believe those things. And there's this book that was really illuminating. It's called Marriage of History, and Mm. it is by, I believe, Stephanie Kuntz, this one part. It's all about inventing the male breadwinner marriage, which, Mm. like... To me, speaks to how much this book is like if you if you learn a touch of history, like the, so many of the assumptions of this book fall apart. And basically, it was the transition from like a producer economy to a consumer economy, and the lead of uh, working for wages that led to masculinity being tied to things like being the breadwinner and divorcing it from domesticity. So this this woman is the author of this book. She is a sociologist who specializes in marriage and the history of marriage. And one place she says, traditionally, middle and lower class wives had combined their productive tasks with child rearing and, and cooking. But as wage earning, work and commerce moved out of the home into separate work sites, this became more difficult. Many women worked for wages prior to marriage, but it was very hard to combine all the heavy work involved in running a household with the hours required to hold a job outside the home. And goes into that some more. As the division between a husband's wage-earning activities and a wife's household activities grew, so too did the sense that men and women lived in different spheres, mm-hmm. with the man's sphere divorced from domestic- domesticity and the woman's divorced from the so-called "quote economy." A history of the German Enlighten- Enlightenment writes that in earlier centuries, when economic production was centered in the household, domesticity was a virtue shared by males and females. A shorthand term for thrift hard work and order advice books in the late 17th century still urged husbands as well as wives to practice domesticity but a century a century later it had tumbled out of the constellation of masculine virtues and like that right there like it's an economic problem <laughs> it is not a problem of you having a boy soul and a girl soul <laughs> And like your so-called like soul desiring different things, it's you are dissatisfied in this large, very unwieldy system okay. that we all live and participate in, and you just assume that every single part of history has always been like that. It's not the case. <laughs> so, uh, and it and it doesn't even speak well to the era that it's speaking to. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's the other problem with the book is like you, you're writing an advice book that's just going to lead to a lot of fights and marriages, Like <laughs> which
0: he kind of wants. Like there, I don't remember which chapter it's in, but like he, he basically he encourages men to to kind of go home different that day. So if you're usually uh, nice to your wife, be a little be a little bit harsher. And if you beat your wife, uh, don't do that today. But oh my god. But basically, he's oh like, god. "You need to try something else." And yeah, some of you need to go home, and you need to fight with your wife because
1: yeah, you don't. If not, just gaslight him a little bit. Just see how see how see how they respond. Be a different person. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's oh
1: my god! It's
0: wild. Like one of the questions I have is, I'm like, I don't understand. You know, he's so mad at the feminization of of the church, and I'm like, John how did that happen? How are you blaming us for that when we've literally never been in charge of the church? Like, you're mm-hmm. mad at the men who go work in the office and be the CEOs, because that's not manly. As if men, like, I don't enjoy office work. It's not because I don't enjoy office work. It's just because I'm not wired that way. But there are people who legitimately love crunching numbers. That is their adventure. That is the thing that they live for. And that's beautiful. We need office workers who love doing office things. But you're mad at that. And then you're mad at how feminine churches. How did that happen? Because we have never been in charge of it. Yes, we're there. And we're there a lot. But men have been running that show the whole time. So I don't mm-hmm. understand. Why are we bearing the brunt and all the blame for all of these things that you men white men in particular especially in white evangelicalism you have been in charge of this and it's not what you want it to be
1: yeah I mean the same sort of thing that that was on display in the Driscoll period you know like again I think there are many sort of cycles of this or like examples of, of domineering men like building cults of personality and then eventually they push people to the breaking point and then, you know, starting in 2014, that's when, with Driscoll in particular, that's when people started telling their stories, mm-hmm. and that's when that led to a lot of th- those things coming out. I don't think the Rise and Fall podcast covers that well or responsibly, but these sorts of things that they say are problem, like, these were the things that the boomers who just you know i i would imagine maybe maybe eldridge is i think i looked it up i think he's 62 so he might be a younger boomer you know but like i'm sorry you don't like seeker sensitive churches or whatever and you like want (laughs) to and but that was your shit like that that was like your cohorts like change is is you all moved to orange county (laughs) and you wanted to wear jeans to church but you kept the same theology and you didn't really you didn't push far enough and like anytime someone did push far enough you pushed them out mm-hmm. and then that happened for 50 years and then now people get it and they stop you know and yeah all these things you're absolutely right and then that is also tied to this also the phenomenon of the fact that even though white evangelicalism in particular sees the man as like the spiritual head of the household traditionally it is been women even and within white evangelicalism who have been the people that steward faith yeah who, who cultivate faithfulness who like if you want to if you want to talk about gendered expectations or gendered performances that performance has by and large been performed by women so like these contradictions are either glossed over or ignored <laughs> it's it's just part and parcel of like the contradictions of and expectations of being a man in these circumstances and like the perks if you play along are that you get to be top dog you know like that's the those are the if you play along in those spaces you get to be top dog you you get doors open for you if you don't then you know you're you're looked at sort of side-eyed but those those things are just those doors aren't even open for other people for women for people of color for you know all those all the intersections of all those identities like it's not even part of the conversation so it's all just rigged to (laughs) (laughs) it's not the election that's rigged (laughs) it's evangelicalism (laughs) you
0: like wrong wrong e guys but you're on the right track (laughs) but i think i think wild at heart and and captivating did so well in their moments spoke to you spoke to me because again we were the people they were we were programmed to eat these books up and they mm-hmm. speak directly to whatever insecurity you have this these books will will push on it and you know i don't know if he meant to do that but i think it's it was kind of inevitable cuz to me i'm like no this book is written out of john eldridge's insecurities like mm-hmm. i felt mm-hmm. betrayed when i looked him up um and just like you know his basic little bio and finding out that he he was a theater guy like he came out of the theater and worked in theater for like 10 plus years and i was like mm-hmm. John you were you were an artist you were a soft little artistic soul out there
1: yeah and yeah.
0: you did not feel i don't know who said what to you cuz he really doesn't he really doesn't address his time in the theater at all other than to mention it now and then that it happened but like all the stories that he pulls from is from you know counseling or church days or whatever doesn't mm-hmm. really pull from those days and I'm like i don't know who said what to you at what point but I know enough about the theater world to know that that's not something, you know, manly men like you are now purporting to be particularly respect. Yeah. So yeah. you've got your own issues at different points. He drops different stuff about his upbringing and whatever. Like sometimes I'm just like, Oh, I'm so mad at you, John. But then in other moments I'm like, are you okay guy? Cause this <laughs> is, this is sad. This is, this is a bummer yeah so he's working out whatever he's working out just yelling screaming his insecurities out and so it's hitting those same insecurities in other people but this book this this was not helpful ultimately
1: yeah yeah i mean i didn't read past the introduction for this conversation but it 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 does it mythologizes so much of Of life and like just makes home life out to look like a prison you know and like yeah if you are insecure if you're unhappy I would think yeah it's gonna it's gonna strike that chord and it's gonna be like yeah I need to be like Brad Pitt in Legend of the Fall or whatever it's like okay you want to be like Indiana Jones okay alright but you still live in Indianapolis and that's okay I I lived in a smaller town in Indiana you know (laughs) Yeah, I I just keep coming back to that. And like, it it just downplays so much of modern life. And it doesn't even it doesn't even look for the those soft moments. Because I think he sees those as weaknesses. Why? Why would those need to be weak things? Like, why? Why can't you make that into a manly thing? And... Yeah, I I think you're exactly right. It's it's all about projecting those those insecurities and him wanting to see those things in himself for whatever reason or believing that his own desires are deficient. And that that I relate to. But I don't think the right course was to publish a book about it. And I am curious like around what age were you when um when you read it? Um, do you do you remember? T- 22
0: 23 Mhm. Yeah.
1: When I read The Sacred Romance and read this, you know, there were, like, these elements of romance and even, like, sexuality that, like, he sort of touches on that it was also weird to to read and think this is a Christian book and, like, he's glamorizing these things that are off limits. Did you ever get that feeling, too? Like,
0: I can't remember from back then. But reading both the books now, I'm like, these books are so awkward. And some of these moments are just so cringy. And some of it is is overtly sexual at weird times. Right, right, and then right. And some of it is just cringely, you know, kind of like, you know, arrested development, you know, where he's just saying these, just, sex, just making these sexual innuendos all the time. I'm like, do you hear yourself? Are you meaning... To do this, because this is <laughs> this is gross right now, um, and I can't tell if it is if you are just just this cringy,
2: mm-hmm.
0: or if it is more of you trying to prove something and trying to be like I I know how sex works <laughs> and I'm I'm the best at it, so I'm just gonna write about it. Yeah. <laughs> oh
1: my gosh!
0: because it's so like ah why why are we doing this yeah yeah <laughs> and and you know and to be a deconstructed ex-evangelical person and a lot of us are joking about sex talking about sex all the time so it's not that we're you know prudes over here like oh my god no and i'm like you are you are embarrassing me this is awkward. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, and I mean that—that that is the sort of inse- insecurity, and you know, speaking to just the ways in which these these male models that that he's putting forth, it's really hard to tie this back to Christianity. It's really hard to be like, yeah. When I think of Braveheart, I think of Christianity, or when I think of Legend of the Fall or Indiana Jones. Like Indiana Jones sleeps with Marion, you know, like, Mm -hmm. like that's Mm -hmm. not a Christian example, at least not an evangelical one, you know, that the very stringent, strict sexual ethics, like, but you're, you're valorizing and you're holding this up as the example. And I actually think that in retrospect, that a lot of the people that were writing books that serious, devout youth group kids were reading like, they had a more nuanced view, even though they preached a very strict black-and-white view of Christianity and of sexual ethics. Because they'd either, you know, either been married or, you know, that had become part of their life. And, like, they developed a better understanding of it. Or they just were a little duplicitous about it. And, like, they they were like, this is the ideal, but, you know. <laughs> like, but they never right. said that, but the but-you-know part it was never <laughs> emphasized. You know, it was... And that just sort of, to me, is part of what is problematic about a lot of these books. And is why things like, you know, the most recent example is Jerry Falwell Jr. And Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. he and his wife's escapades. And that's being documented. But then there's a whole line of male preachers that have done the same thing. And that is another sort of confusing part because that is this part of this male identity that, you know, Linda K. Klein and, and Pure talks about how men are told that their minds are evil and women, women are told that their bodies are, you know, and that's that dichotomy, that difference that is Im- implied and put on people in evangelical thinking and theology is really messed up. <laughs> and like, it's only led to a lot of hangups and trauma like <laughs> that have to be worked through. And the sort of inherent, you know, either hypocrisy or just overlooking of of these things is one of the reasons why it's so messy when you actually engage with these texts again. It's just nuts.
0: It's a mess. <laughs> and, and like you said, yeah, he... <laughs> Indiana Jones and James Bond just wouldn't be the same without a beauty at their side. And inevitably, they must fight for her. And both of those movies, especially, you know, James Bond, any any old beauty will do. And yeah. And she's going to be recycled. And, you know, she gets her one movie. She's a Bond girl. And then yep. she's gone. Um, and there's a darker... He loves, loves Braveheart. And I, I think... <laughs> I think there should be many podcast episodes and discussions about, like, how did Braveheart become, like... An evangelical movie mm-hmm. because that shit was evangelicals loved it i saw it with my very very christian mother and grandmother mm-hmm. and they like loved it so that's that's fascinating anyway but you know he loves he loves braveheart he loves gladiator he loves legends of the fall and i'm like these are stories where these men are set off to fight by the death of the woman that they love mm-hmm. So you are also fine with my woman, my part of the adventure to share, is being killed. Mm -hmm. Like, my contribution to this story is dying, and John Eldridge is fine with that. Mm -hmm. Because she was beautiful, and she served her purpose, and gave this man something to fight for. And isn't that wonderful? Yeah.
1: And that, I mean, it's just like the damsel in distress, and then plus the evangelical martyr like desire you know this this death wish that <laughs>
0: right and what what better thing for a woman to do honestly oh than to lay down her life for the sake of
1: a man's story
0: <laughs> every man's battle uh, oh god
1: oh man that book oh
0: <laughs> that's definitely on the list but oh yeah oh. yeah i mean
1: that that book also I mean, it's it's 100% cringe, but but there are absolutely examples of this. Is another tangent, sorry, but on that note of like, I read both Every Man's and Every Young Man's Bible back in the day, and I remember there's this one part where he's talking about like before he became a Christian, he was a player, you know, like he. <laughs> like he is a ladies' man,
0: as they all are, <laughs>
1: <laughs> and so like he he like had a sexual past, and then is like recounting it, and then talking about like performance issues because of the fact that he became a Christian, and it's like, why are you writing this and sharing this, especially for for like young men who like don't have this experience, and like, are you trying? It's just very very i mean super cringe and just upsetting in so many levels (laughs) (laughs) and it's just part and parcel of this weird evangelical manhood that is very like he says there's no need for gender confusion but like it is very confusing like john he actually has that somewhere in this chapter i forget he says gender confusion which like he was decades ahead of like uh Matt Walsh and shits with that that crap.
0: Mm -hmm. Like no, it's uh it's so part and parcel and just usual for this book. It wouldn't even stick out. It's like, let me underline that because it's never gonna happen again. You're like, no, that's that tracks.
1: (laughs) I just don't know what to do with this book.
0: I would suggest throwing it in the trash, but that's that's just me. I feel like these people can't help, but. And maybe I mean this book has been out forever and he is still it is still out there and he there is still a filled manual and people still go on the retreats or whatever. And this I mean this is his calling money. card and this is his Yeah. And this is his big thing. And these people cannot help but but listen in when people are talking about them. So you know, I don't know if John Eldridge will listen to all of it, but I'm sure he'll hear run across this and hear
1: Oh uh, yeah, of it. I mean there's a wild a heart podcast so yeah i guess i mean they, they publish a lot they published stuff that last week so i mean and
0: that is that is horrifying so if my my part in <laughs> ex evangelical history can just be here is a you know you have the state of the union and this is that state <laughs> of the <Union> rebuttal <laughs>
1: the response yeah the the minority response or whatever
0: <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> that is that is exactly
1: what this is that's great yes <laughs> i mean i and i i think this is such a cool project because i because there's just there's a wealth of different books to cover you know there's so much that the market of evangelical books has been so mature for so long and back in my Christian bookstore days there was like a, a fad section basically of impulse buys so during during my time it was like the perfect the purpose driven life and be- <laughs> before that it was the prayer of jabez
0: enlarge my tents
1: <laughs> that's right <Yeah. laughs> and you know it was just wild um cuz that's that shit's just straight prosperity gospel like it is unvarnished it is plain as day but everybody jumped on that Everybody mm-hmm. was like, okay, let's give this one a shot. Like, this is a $7 impulse buy. This is something you can put in, you know, in the white elephant.
0: Makes a great makes gift. Makes a great gift.
1: Yep. We had so much stuff in this one, you know, the impulse buy section right by the the register. I don't, I don't think we had testaments, unfortunately. But uh, <laughs> some people I knew that worked at family Christian stores had testaments. But, yeah, it was... The prayer of Jabez purpose-driven life we had the sacred romance and the, the workbook and wild at heart and captivating and once the market clings on to something then then they run with it but this one isn't it like this <laughs> yeah there's there's so many ways to approach masculinity manhood but i'm not sure i don't think this is the way to do it and it's largely devoid of jesus of nazareth like, regardless of what you think of Christianity, but the person of Jesus, like that's that's not present in, in this. I don't see it. These are all people, like all the people that that he wants to talk about are people like either alone or with small groups, and like Jesus hanging was hanging out with his buddies all the time. You know, he he definitely needed his, his alone time too, but I just don't, I just don't see it, and I don't see it tying back to the only thing that Christianity provides here is proof text that's it like just some out of context bible verses here and there just to talk about gender in a really basic way so i don't know
0: and it's hard to like look at look at these books without without the christian lens like coming into it okay this is a christian book but i'm like if if somehow a non-christian non-evangelical just picked up this book and stumbled across it. Like, I feel like they would 100% walk away thinking Braveheart is a book of life. <laughs> Like,
1: this... Yeah.
0: This came from the book of William Wallace. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And it's full of lessons for us to learn. Like, for a Christian book, <laughs> this book is shockingly light on Christian texts. Mm-hmm. Um, other than... <laughs> See, that's of course.
1: <laughs> yes uh,
0: but the bible makes very few appearances mm-hmm. like much less than i would have yeah
1: thought. yeah uh, and i mean there's so many examples of men and women that just defy these sort of gender expectations even within christian history like there's just so many examples to pick from whether it's within american christianity or reaching back to the days of jesus like there's so many ways in which none of this has 100 percent. this is boy soul this is woman soul girl soul you know like uh it's just crazy to me like what what does he think of joan of arc what does he think of francis of assisi what does he think of
0: he does he does not what does he
1: think of like the universal friend that was like an abolitionist who is basically non-binary and like didn't associate with any gender like what do you do with those people like do you say that they aren't <laughs> they aren't boy soul enough or like are like this is distinctly american it's so strange the the narrowness of it like it's intended to evoke all this expansiveness but by reducing everything down to boy soul woman soul boy soul girl soul it it limits everything mm-hmm. by these terms that don't fit everyone. And yeah, it's just as you said, it was absolute his insecurity is just broadcast <laughs> through this book.
0: You get an insecurity. You get an insecurity. <laughs> <laughs> so all right, so looking at this book from the perspective that everything is permissible, we cannot stop John Eldridge from writing a any mm-hmm. kind of book but not everything is beneficial <laughs> on a scale from one to ten. Ten, beneficial for everyone. This is Jabez. tent, please enlarge it. Uh, <laughs> down to one, harmful. This is the king in Braveheart wreaking havoc and instituting premonaxia. <laughs> um. <laughs>
1: I mean, I would say... If prima nocta, then it's probably uh, if it if that's and he doesn't go there in the first chapter, so I give him like a one point five. <laughs> you know, he, he's not he's not uh, he's not violating consent in this. Maybe maybe even give him all the way up like one. Give him a full point above that to a two, if that's the one. But I do not recommend this book. I mean, it is definitely like a very interesting artifact of like something that was was big in my life that was part of something but i would not in 2022 i would I, no no go go read lots of other books before you read this one
0: i love that he got an extra half point two point full point just for not <laughs> in this chapter um
1: <laughs> i mean that yeah i mean uh, <laughs> but only that the bar i mean only that
0: only that and it only ho- doesn't hold for the whole book so
1: yeah i mean i i the don't remember is... the rest so i may need to to justify that so don't don't judge me too harshly remember i only read this chapter for this podcast people who listen to this in the future so.
0: they will understand so instead of wild at heart cuz we are not recommending wild at heart what is something an activity book movie music anything uh wild whatever that means to you that you would recommend.
1: I really like bike riding when I get a chance. And so like any sort of any sort of activity that you know puts you in your in your body or in a place that you develop sort of an appreciation for the wider world, any of those things that sort of evoke awe or wonder, like do those things. I, I like bike riding. and as far as like any sort of content that would be sort of along those lines, there's a comic book called Second Coming, which is about Jesus coming back to Earth, but that's because his dad wants to toughen, toughen him up. So he um, so he forces Jesus to be roommates with basically like a version of Superman to toughen him up. In the first issue, he goes on a, you know, he responds to a crime with, with the Superman analog and Superman's beating the shit out of everybody tossing them out of the warehouse and uh, he then the Superman character walks out and says where are all those thugs that I threw out here (laughs) and Jesus says I healed them and then he says why (laughs) and he says because they needed it (laughs) Uh, yeah so if you want a book that straddles the line between being very funny and also talking about things like, like manhood and Whatever the hell that means. Pick up Second Coming mm-hmm. by Mark Russell and Richard Pace. It's a comic book. There's two two volumes of it. Um, the first volume is all about him being roommates with this Superman character, Sunstar. It's fantastic. Pick it up. And I interviewed the author back on my podcast, so you can listen to that there.
0: <laughs> this has been fantastic. And... Uh, Blake loves bike riding, so you guys heard it here first. That bike riding is innately Great. male; and it's an innately masculine activity, and all of you should love it. Yeah,
1: no electric bikes—that's um, cheating. You gotta be super. No, no girly bikes with for wearing skirts. You gotta have a crossbar on top. You can't use city bikes in New York because of that reason. There's a lot of rules. For manly biking <laughs> that's just the way
0: it is <laughs> um, Blake any, any closing thoughts final no, words I,
1: thank you for the, for the invitation this was a lot of fun I mean this is definitely a very cool idea for a show and I'm happy to be a part of it everybody check out Janice's other podcast it's also part of a Reverend media group which we're both a part of mm-hmm. and yeah if check out Reverend.fm for my podcast mm-hmm. and a whole bunch of others so Thanks for having me Janice.
0: Thank you so much for saying yes. This has been this has been great.
2: What if, what if those deep desires in our hearts are telling us the truth, revealing to us the life we were meant to live? God gave us eyes so that we might see, he gave us ears that we might hear, he gave us wills that we might choose, and he gave us hearts that we might live. The way we handle the heart is everything. A man must know he is powerful, he must know he has what it takes. A woman must know she is beautiful, she must know she is worth fighting for. But you don't understand, said one woman to me. I'm living with a hollow man, no, it's in there. His heart is there. It may have evaded you, like a wounded animal always out of reach one step beyond your catching but it's there i don't know when i died said another man but i feel like i'm just using up oxygen i understand your heart may feel dead and gone but it's there something wild and strong and valiant just waiting to be released
0: and that's that. Thank you for dropping in on the Bad Book Club. I certainly hope you had a better time listening than we did reading. Bad Words is an irreverent media podcast, the Legata scratch production, and a God is not given side hustle. Produced by Janice Legata and made possible by the generous support of jodly and jodwilling patrons like Daphne. Thank you, Daphne. If you're enjoying this season, please let the people know by leaving a rating or a review on the podcast platform of your choice. And if you're looking for a better book experience, ask Amazon about The Grift of God and or The Divide by me, Janice Legata. And until we meet again, take care of you and be well. This has been an episode of Bad Words, but to finish up, here are some good ones.
1: And I would say explore the things that give you meaning regardless of whether someone like John Eldridge tells you they should, <laughs> I would explore what are the things that haven't been examined in your life that need, need that examining. And you know it's not a straightforward thing and it's not always pretty or kind. It's not always flattering to reckon with those with those things. If I was speaking to someone else like me who is a, a white guy, from evangelicalism I would say avoid the easy route of just going and being reactionary this book this book also feels like it's part of that like reactionary don't tell me how to be type things that leads like that's the first step in the all right pipeline like that that's the that's the first step you take before you slide down that pipe that into the sewer of like that that type of worldview that vilifies other people. The braver thing and the harder thing. And if you, if it means something to you, the more meaningful thing as a human, as a man, if that has value to you, is to look at those things and give yourself permission to question where those values come from. And to me, that would be the big story. Not being... Not cosplaying as William Wallace, but being who you are, and if you want to get swept up in a grand story, choose to get swept up in the story of challenging the things that are keeping all of us that aren't rich white, like ultra rich white guys, as part of these systems that need need to be either deeply reformed or dismantled. And those are things like capitalism and white supremacy and complex things. But just step in that direction. Don't take the easy step towards an anger that will just numb you. There are far more feelings to feel as a man than anger. And those feelings are just as valid. So that's my little mini-sermon. You know, if I was going to platform something for, for men, that's what I would do.